Hi, Jeff. How's it going? Good, Alex. How are you? I'm really good. And uh, it's no secret that we're sitting here with someone else today. I'm going to introduce this someone else. Uh, I'll start at the very beginning. You are listening to the School of Thought podcast, Victoria, uh, where we talk about the benefits of learner-centered, personalized inquiry learning, and where we give you tools for how to transform your school into a personalized inquiry school. So I'm your host, Alex Van Tal, and I'm sitting here with our familiar co-host, Jeff Hopkins, who is founder and principal of the Pacific School of Innovation and Inquiry here in Victoria. But we're also joined today by Ian Chisholm, who is co-founder and partner of Roy Group. You can find them at roygroup.net. And Roy Group is a leadership development firm that works with K-12 schools and works with post-secondary institutions to improve leadership. Uh, to heal fragmented cultures, to improve communication, um, ultimately with the eye to improving service to the end user, which of course is learners or children. So Ian, welcome. Thank you. Nice to have you here nice with to us. Nice to see you both. Um, so we want to we wanna get to know a little bit about who you are and sort of understand your connection to the education team. So um, my understanding is that this dates way back to when you were uh, a chief executive of Columba 1400 in Scotland in your early career. So take us back there and tell me what is your connection to leadership in education? Yeah, Columba 1400 uh, is a purpose-built leadership development center based uh, at the north end of the Isle of Skye. And it was founded by a gentleman named Norman Drummond who was uh, a very young and renowned head teacher in Scotland. And so in many ways, other than, you know, having experienced principals and uh, teachers myself as a student, this was the first experience I had in, in thinking about educational leadership, largely due to his reputation in the field uh, when a gentleman named Tom Hunter uh, unleashed some very ambitious plans about changing the psyche of Scotland and really wanting to create a more entrepreneurial mindset. And by entrepreneurial, uh, I'm pretty sure at the time, Tom didn't just mean uh, people who start their own businesses, but rather people who undertake uh, big challenges, whether that's in the public service or whether that's, um, you know, entrepreneurial nurses and entrepreneurial uh, uh, community leaders. Uh, he just wanted to bring that entrepreneurial spirit back to Scotland, which of course, over the last 600 years has been a huge drain on Scotland. One of Scotland's greatest exports to the world has been entrepreneurs. And the context of that is that when you have a society that have very wealthy people who will always be wealthy, because their money comes from generations before them, combined with people who are just making it happen every month, um, there's not a lot of incentive to keep an entrepreneur there. They might as well come to another country like Canada or South Africa or all of the places around the world that Scots went to who were industrious entrepreneurs and wanted to build things. So he's trying to rectify this and he was doing it with a number of probes with students in schools, with junior achievement, trying to hit a number of pressure points. But one of the pressure points that he was very focused on was educational leadership. And, and the research that the Hunter Foundation had done pointed towards that the way a principal runs their school is the gatekeeper to that future psyche of the nation. So if you're part of an ecosystem that's led by somebody who is, you know, of the spirit and in the spirit of taking on big things and addressing what's going on in the world and coming up with ways to respond to that, you give young people the chance to kind of feel what it feels like to be in an entrepreneurial environment. He was convinced by it. His research pointed towards it. So at this point, he approached us. He knew that we did leadership development at Columba 1400. We did it for young people from tough socioeconomic backgrounds. 
that had led us to a very cool experiment called the Gemini Project, which we created with a, a man named Mark Bell, which brought 10 young people from tough socioeconomic realities, mostly from Glasgow, alongside 10 financial executives, mostly from the banks in Edinburgh. And they would learn how to coach each other separately. And then they would come up to the Isle of Skye and coach each other every afternoon as they went through this challenging leadership development program. So these are, these are young people coaching established execs. financial execs yeah. and vice versa. And vice versa, which was awesome. One, one of the best pieces of work I've ever seen. Uh, not surprisingly, this story got to Tom Hunter and Tom Hunter came to us and asked, would you help me run a pilot for head teachers? Could we do something? Could we create some sort of an experience that would kind of light, light the fire again, maybe reignite some of the reasons that these people had gotten into education in the first place. How could we reconnect people to that? How could we help them get rid of the bunch of a bunch of the garbage that was getting in the way of them actually making the biggest difference possible? There wasn't a lot of form to this. It was really up to us to create something. And what was very exciting was that Tom Hunter wanted to use the money that he had, which was a substantial cash of money, to accomplish a very long-term impact. So how he did that was that he would pay for 50% of innovative pilots in education, and he would be joined by the Scottish executive to be the other 50% of these pilots. Uh, Tom Hunter's foundation would also pay for independent third-party research. In our case, it was the University of Paisley in Glasgow. And the deal was that if a pilot was deemed by the third party to have been successful, the Scottish executive paid for the rollout. So in many ways, Tom was, was saving his money with the high-risk money to... Uh, do the experiment, but the, if the experiment worked and it was shown that this thing is going to cause a very positive dent in Scottish society, then that's really the Scottish executive's job to pick up the tab for that, particularly with the pilot in public education, um, which is what they did. Uh, 20 years later, 20 years, maybe 19, I think 2022 will be 20 years. I'm not sure. We're approaching 20 years of this program. And to this day, every deputy head and head teacher in Scotland at one time or another makes their way to the Isle of Skye for uh, the Head Teacher Leadership Academy or the HTLA as we called it. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so that was the, that was the experiment that we were involved in uh, around educational leadership and how investing in the leaders of education can actually help an entire nation change course towards a different future. That sounds quite grand, but when you break it down, that was the design of the experiment from the beginning. Wow, yeah, far reaching. And now you're saying that 20, almost 20 years on, this, you know, every head and deputy head in the country is, is uh, going through this leadership academy. So that is powerful. And I could see how that would have pretty far reaching effects. Yeah. Wow. Jeff, what do you think? I mean, is that, is, you know, we've got this school system that's lumbering along under outdated ideologies. And, you know, is this, is this the place to dig the shovel in? If you can't flip the whole darn system, do you start with, do you start with the leadership in schools? Yeah, you know, it's funny, I, I spent most of my career trying to figure out what the best unit of change was. And so I, you know, was a teacher and a counselor and a vice principal, a principal, a superintendent and a, worked in the ministry and really trying to find the place like, where do you, where do you insert, you know, where does the lever go? And I never really found it, um, except to say that I think the principal was it. I think, honestly, um, no, no one of those jobs can do everything that you need to do to change a system alone. But I think if you're looking for the place where there's the most leverage, where what's really happening on a day-to-day -day basis for most people in the system, it's probably the principle. So I'm listening to, you know, Ian 
story here and I, I just like I'm trying to imagine the scale and the the impact of something like that especially when entrepreneur the spirit of entrepreneurship is sort of at the heart of it because I could see a I could see a training program like some kind of an academy being you know the most dismal disaster ever if it was if it was focused on the wrong thing but focused right. that way and being kind of loose and giving people an opportunity to capture a spirit um that is just a wonderful like that just sounds perfect uh the expression uh that my uh, father-in-law uses my father-in-law was an educational leader in the university world for a number of decades and uh in talking about our clients now, he always asks the question, who are the deans of that university? Even if we're talking about, you know, something that's not a university at all, but he's always interested in where is that organizational fold where the vision for something greater gets implemented into every day. And I, I think in our school system, the principals and the vice principals are the deans of the university. If you're going to try to make big change happen on both sides of that equation, they are the people that need to not necessarily raise their game, uh, change their game, transform their game, um, take a really good look at their game and, and ask themselves some tough questions of, is my game accomplishing what it might? It's funny when you say both sides of the equation, uh, That's I was just thinking that very thing, you're kind of like the the filter between the the sort of upper level policy makers, maybe in your district or a, a board of some kind, and then you know the, the teachers who are um, you know kind of have the most direct contact in most situations with the learners, and you're kind of in between trying to make sure that's working is is enacting the the big picture kind of policy stuff, but also trying to influence that policy based on what you know the teachers are actually facing. And also what you what your vision is, what you'd actually like to see happen. So yeah, you're in that really you're in the sweet spot if you if you're willing to you know accept it. You're in the you're in the sweet spot. And and that potential we we found um, certainly with the the HTLA in Scotland that potential energy for making big change happen really started to hum when you brought people together when you brought principals and vice principals together and we had rural schools and urban schools, secondary and primary, big centers, small centers, uh, creating from the start, we tried to create a network where that group of people can stay in touch and continue to support each other, um, which was one of the smartest things that, that we were ever able to do. The network was the answer because when you activate that whole band of deans you know, that whole bandwidth of principles across a country, all of a sudden, uh, yeah, some exciting stuff can start to happen. That's, that's pretty great. <laughs> so I want to ask, um, Jeff, you've said a couple of things that I wanted to, I wanted to go into. Uh, well, Ian, you said a little while back, you said, you know, there's a lot of sort of garbage that gets in the way uh, and the, the, the job of this initiative to just kind of remove that garbage and allow those heads or those principals to get in and actually do the work that they were needed to do. Jeff, I wanna turn this around to you and ask you, what are some of those things that kind of get in the way of um, principals being able to actually do the work that they so much want to do? Oh, wow, how long is the podcast? Um, but <laughs> I think, um, you know, it's funny because I, I think there's so much and sometimes those, the trappings I call them, sometimes are the things that we end up focusing on instead of what we're really supposed to be doing here. I was thinking about what Ian was saying about the, the network was really the, the power and I, I think it was, but I also think the, the, the seeding of the idea of it being a, an entrepreneurial pursuit as opposed to uh, a network to try to um, get really good at all of the the garbage <laughs> which is what unfortunately what some of the networks do um so you know i don't know for for example like there's a lot of uh what some people would call data or database decision making that some districts or things would like principals to do or that the ministry asks us to do and unfortunately some of that data isn't particularly sophisticated or rich or useful or anything like that those data are not always what we're really supposed to be looking at. Um, so sometimes your garbage is about trying to take 
some real human things that are going on and then you're translating them all into these kind of meaningless data for someone else. And I don't know if you ever saw the Raiders of the Lost Ark movie, but at the very end of the movie, when there's the big warehouse with all the crates in it, and they're just, everything's just like stored away forever. That's where all the data go. So all the stuff, a lot of the stuff that principals do, it, you have to do it. You're required to do it, or you think you are. And then it all ends up in that <laughs> warehouse and never to be heard from again. And no one really knows it. And, and people sometimes even resent what you're asking them to do in the school because it is garbage. Like it's not really adding value. It's not about education. So that's some of the stuff that needs to be, there needs to be a better conversation between um, principals, right, between administrators and school districts and the ministry then, right? Just to kind of have everybody actually working in a, in a zone of uh, where, where the information is useful. Yeah, I think, I think so. And then, and then I also think that sometimes we get caught up into the other part of it, which is the compliance stuff, like the, so you've got a room full of kids and of various ages, depending on what kind of principal you are, what kind of school you have. And um, a lot of the, the concerns that are kind of that, you know, urgent, but not necessarily important concerns are all about, you know, this person isn't doing something exactly the way I'd like them to, or that person's yelling or whatever it might be. And so sometimes the principal's job ends up dealing with these, um, these little fires that happen uh, that aren't really about what's, what's really important to people. They think they are. Um, everybody thinks that those are the most important things. So the principal almost have, has to step out of it, look at it like you would look at like an impressionist painting and go, oh, it's not about that little blob of paint over there. There's actually a bigger pattern here and you need to be working with those bigger patterns. Um, but so sometimes that garbage is about being a little bit too close right. to the picture and paying attention to the, to the micro that isn't really worth it. Right, in the business sector, we would say that's working... Um in the business right instead of working on the business when you're stuck down in the weeds trying to solve those day-to-day -day things that aren't really your area so um jeff what makes a good principle like what what are some of the and we're going to go back to ian and ask you know a little bit about what are the things we can do to to level people up but before we do that what what would you say are some of the competencies we want to see in really good school leaders you know, that I, I was actually afraid you're going to ask me that question. That's such a hard question to answer in some ways. I mean, I think it's really contextual. I'm sure Ian's going to have something to say about that. But um, uh, I've seen, like, in BC, there's the BC Principals and Vice Principals Association. And they, they actually, a few years ago, put together a, a set of um, sort of standards for what they considered to be uh, good uh, for, like, for a principal to sort of measure themselves against. Um, and there's nothing wrong with them except they're they're very generic. And um, I I've known people who could probably you know get fives out of five on all of the things, but they're not necessarily what I would consider to be a good principal. Or or maybe to put it a different way, they don't feel like everything's going the way they'd like it to go. <laughs> they don't feel like it's going like a good principal would have it going. So there's there's definitely some uh, you know hard to name things that are about personality. I think some of it, it's interesting that this started with entrepreneur, entrepreneurial spirit, because I actually think a lot of it is about that. It's about mm -hmm. inventing what it needs to be invented, um, focusing on what needs to be focused on, experimenting, trying things, um, helping people take risks in healthy ways. Uh, all of that stuff I would say is what it's really about. Um, and none of those standards that I've seen are really usually are talking anything about that. They're, they're a little bit more about the keeping the, keeping the wheels turning and the lights on. Wow. Which you, you have to do that, too. Well, yeah, you have, well, for sure. But that's, let's, let's hope we'd be able to do more than that. Right. Yeah. Ian, what, what would you add to that? Um, anything that jumps to mind in terms of what makes a really good school leader? Yeah. I mean, it, this is, um, uh, the metaphor of a microscope comes to mind that it really matters what level you're looking at. And I think, you know, BC principals and vice principals association took the microscope to a certain level that gave some nice striation. So you could kind of see the different areas that people have to play in and they, they captured that. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. No. I, uh, fundamentally, I want to say like, 
what we count on principles to be the most is a convener of the conversations that are dying to be born. So whether that's with uh, parents, with their school board, with teachers, with students, it's like again and again and again, we're kind of counting on them to have the, the tools to convene and hold whatever conversation needs to happen. Um, I, I do think that every school is so different from each other, both, you know, in the independent school world and in the public school world, you know, they're, they're in that community. And so there might be province-wide directives that help people line up with things. But I mean, think about the status that a principal used to have in a community. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking like 20 years ago, and if I hear stories of like a hundred years ago, it was even more, mm -hmm. you know, it was like That's doctors, lawyers, and the school principal were kind of people that you look to, to count on, to show up every day and tackle very tough stuff. Um, I don't know what's happened over the years other than the lawyers and the doctors have invested mightily in their own brand. And their professional associations have actually kept that status for their members. And yeah, I, I, uh, you can't go backwards, but I, I really think that principals of schools deserve that status um, because we count on them to kind of say, what, what does the future of this school need to look like? I mean, the other term that doesn't get used very much in educational leadership is kind of executive effectiveness. How much prowess does a school principal have in the power of reflection, in the power of inquiry, in the power of pausing, and the power of, you know, taking right action in any given situation. That ability to go from concept to action and to execute whatever that means in the situation, but to make it so, whether that's a family situation, a teacher situation, a student situation. I mean, we are counting on them to demonstrate a wide breadth of capacity. When you change the microscope one last time, and this was um, epic in our Scottish experiment because the Scottish executive, let me go back just a second because the reason that Tom Hunter's experiment was brilliant is because it met the interests of both parties, him, his own and the Scottish executives. He is a rabble rouser. He wants things to change. He wants to disrupt and make things better. And so he got a chance to do that. The Scottish executive needs projects that work. They don't want egg on their face because they get elected or not every four years. And so they got what they want. The whole thing was designed to give them projects that work. And if something didn't work, they could say, well, Tom Hunter spent more money on that than we did. We put a bullet in it as soon as we knew it didn't work. So he set it up that way. So when the Scottish executive got involved, there was a lot of pressure to design, you know, a scaffolding or a rubric or a, the DNA of a head teacher like the, the principle of the future, the, the people inside the ministry got super jumped up that they were going to determine what future principles needed to embody. It was totally conceptual. They haven't researched that. They haven't, they don't know that. They just said, this is our proclamation and this sounds pretty exciting. And largely due to a few of the people that were helping us build this thing, um, Robert Henderson and Mark Bell, who I mentioned before, I just think we pushed back in a really great way because Robert's conviction was any human system um, achieves its potential when the leaders within it are true. And so that might mean that Jeff runs his school in a certain quirky way. Mm -hmm. He convenes all of those different conversations the way Jeff does those. And he's kind of a character in our community and some parents love him and some parents don't, but Jeff is Jeff. There's just no questioning that Jeff is doing this Jeff's way and that Alex runs her school in a very different way. And she convenes all of those conversations with her own style and her own system for doing that. 
that that's actually what you want to aim for is to help each head teacher find what's true for them, which means digging into what they value, why they got into education. I mean, it has to work. They have to be able to convene these conversations. They have to demonstrate that executive capacity, but actually you want a country full of people doing that each in their own way, which of course is very tough for the bureaucracy to say, wow, we totally endorse that. So there was a constant tension and we just kept making sure that anything we did was about each one of these individuals really becoming more and more and more of who they've always been, which is what the journey of leadership is actually about. Mm -hmm. So interesting because I've seen a lot of uh, districts and um, other jurisdictions who go with a, a very sort of old style mentorship program, the kind where this person is a good principal and they're going to come and show you how to do that like mm -hmm. they did. And it, it never works. And I know people mean well, the, the Superintendents Association in BC does this as well. They have a, a mentorship program. And I remember I was, a, I was a very young superintendent. I was the youngest superintendent actually in BC. And I, so of course, I got to get me a mentor like right away. Who knows what I'm going to do? It's probably going to be terrible. Um, so I got this lovely, really, really good person yeah. who I really like. And I still talk to him all the time. And he was a phenomenal superintendent. Uh -huh. And there's no way I would probably even do one single thing like he would do. I don't right. even think I would put the pencil down on my desk in the same place. Right. Um, like, no way. And right. we realized that immediately um, because we were forced to have a meeting together. And um, <laughs> it, it was just, it, he knew. And, you know, I, I said, I'm happy to talk to you about things, but, you know, I don't, <laughs> I'm never going to, I'm never going to do it like that. Like, it just would never, it would be so fake and right. so awful. Right. So uh, it was actually really funny. But yeah, that's interesting to hear you say that. So no one size fits all. It's a it's a question of sort of positioning the individual to access their best competencies in the way that works for their environment, right? And like you're both saying, each school is its own um, it is its own organism. I mean, some are in the inner city, some are addressing populations that are quite well healed, some have a real mix. And so yeah, there is no one size fits all. Yeah, the war, the war cry at Columba, I mean, it wasn't a war cry, it was the, a quote that we would often hear from our founder, he was really taken with it. Um, from John Buchan, who of course later became Lord Tweedsmere and was a Governor General of Canada. But the quote was that our task as leaders is not to put the greatness into humanity, it's to elicit it because the greatness is there already. Mm -hmm. And there's a fractal nature to that statement in that that's what great educators do. They know that each student is not the same. And they find a way to, you know, invite the greatness out of all of those different people. Well, in the same way, that's what we need to do with teachers. And that's what we need to do with principals. And that's what we need to do with superintendents. That's what we need to do to the entire system is have everybody finding ways to elicit the greatness out, not trying to codify it and put it in. I mean, that's the fundamental nature of our challenge. Absolutely. That's a... I I would even say that's a that's a paradigm. That's almost the way to describe the, yeah. the shift we need to make in the system, which is it's almost like the, the sculptor that says, you know, the the, the sculpture is in, in there, and I'm just revealing it. Uh, you know, that's that that is that's what human beings are like. Um, it's that self actualization. So um, we're just there to guide it along the way and help it out, and you know, throw in little bits and pieces here and there as they go. Um, but until people sort of see that as like, I think there are people who don't see that yet, or, or maybe never, maybe never will. I know that that's, I, or at least when people get afraid or uncertain, they often go to the place of that. You, and you hear this all the time and principals will hear this all the time too, about we have to make sure we are, you know, covering the curriculum or that we're, it's all about what you're putting into the system, what you're piling up to, yeah. to the learners, as opposed to, how you're helping the learners be the learners and, and guide them on their path that they're already on anyway. And Jeff, I come back to the network idea because if you take a really great teacher and make them a vice principal and then a principal and you leave them 
on their own. I think it's a default inside all of us that even if we were a great teacher who brought the greatness out of people, now we're a principal and we're, you know, we're a slave to whatever mental models we have about what a leader does. And you see some people kind of transform into something that's a, a departure from who they really are. Mm -hmm. As soon as you connect people in a network and maybe amplify it with getting them to watch each other, getting them to coach each other, get about things together. As soon as you connect them, people kind of go back to, you know, who they really are. But if we leave people alone, they become all kinds of monstrosities um, of That's what so they think a principal needs to be, what a superintendent needs to be. I mean, that's, that's a human struggle. There's no judgment when I say that. That's just what happens when we, when we leave people alone. That's really true. Those mental models. But I'll strong. jump in here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what Ian just said, it sort of, sort of um, hits the nail on the head for one problem that I see in education. And, and that is that really great teachers are often the ones that are invited into administration. Mm -hmm. um, but what makes you a really great teacher does not necessarily make you a really great administrator. Um, and in fact, you know, a lot of the, the life tends to leave people when they have to, you know, they leave the classroom and they leave that place where they're you know, able to engage deeply with the learners that they're working with. And suddenly now they've got a whole new set of things, which includes leading adults who historically are not easy to lead. Like teachers themselves are quite tricky to lead. Uh, academics, I will say, are a, a tough bunch to lead. So it Absolutely. really is a huge task. It's true. It's true. I know um, when I was a superintendent, um, I had a principal who was exactly what you just described, Alex, a, a phenomenal teacher. Um, we made her a principal. She, she is a very good principal, but she didn't feel like she was. And she had a very rough kind of first year. And it was almost the end of the first year. And, and she came in to see me and she goes, I, I don't think I should, I think I'm in the wrong racket. She said, just what you said, I don't think a good teacher necessarily makes a good administrator. I said, well, why do you say that? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and she told me about how great she felt as a teacher and then how kind of uncomfortable she felt with what she found herself doing as a principal I said well why are you doing that <laughs> and it was the mental model and, it, and it's like why don't you just spend like the last month and see if you can be the person that you were when you felt really good about coming to this place and try that because it was probably it'll probably work um and you know and she did and actually she's she's it became a phenomenal principal look back. um but she had to embrace herself and for just ditch this mental model. I think mental models for principals are funny. I just saw a little comic. My daughter showed this to me the other day, actually. It was um, somebody asking a, a little boy, what, do, what does the principal do at school? And he goes, well, he reads the announcements and then I think he just eats donuts. <laughs> so like nobody really knows. It's a, it's a mysterious job. So all you're left with is the, the mental model of what, what you think a principal is. And sometimes we yeah, step right into that even if it's really uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm gonna, um, I, I understand that, you know, you can't get promoting somebody who's excellent in the role they're in doesn't always pay off. But I also just sent such a natural extension um, from, you know, being able to instruct well, mm. and being able to provide advice the way great teachers do when it's relevant, and being able to position other people to dig a little deeper and work a little harder and learn a little more and engage like that. All of those things that uh, masterful teachers do, I just think being a principal is a natural extension of those things. Um, you're doing it with a harder audience for sure, but you're definitely, you know, it's not that kids are always the best listeners either. So you're, you're just, I just, I don't know. I just think you're up for it, you know, but, but you have to know that this is an extension of what I've always done, which was to help people learn and to help them figure out how they're going to advance. And I think you've got to frame it so that you actually do feel that this is a good challenge for me. This is a good stretch. I, I want to stretch. I want to grow into this new role. So that piece, Ian, you just mentioned a minute ago about you know positioning people 
so that they can serve to their best ability. This is kind of where Roy Group's work would come in, right? You're, yeah. you're working with schools. I mean, you work with um, different groups, right? There's businesses that you serve and you also serve the public service, but there is this connection with schools. So is that always, um, you know, bringing a coaching approach and is there more, is there less? What, what's the magic? Yeah, coaching, coaching is definitely one skill set that um, is pretty applicable in the world of educational leadership. And so to add to people's capability on that front, um, you know, conflict is another one. Mm. Uh, engagement is another one. Uh, personal development is another one. All of these are, are kind of areas where if you can give people tools, somebody in a principal's role will start deploying them right away. I mean, if you can help people convene a conversation better, mm -hmm. they know that they're going to use it 17 times before Friday afternoon and that the content is always going to be different. Uh, but if they have a way, you know, if they have a process, if they have a method for having those conversations, their confidence can increase rapidly. And so, yeah, all of our work with educational leaders, and this really started with the, the Scotland project, mm -hmm. was if you can increase the confidence that people have to practice well, they actually end up learning more from their own experience, which gives them more confidence to practice, which allows them to learn more from what's right in front of them. And, and you create a virtuous cycle, which is not that different, I don't think, Jeff, the, of what you set up for, for the students at SAI. I mean, this is the same, you know, uh, how can we position people to practice with confidence so that life is more instructive to them and that they learn more from life as it happens? That's that's the path any of us are trying to get on. Schools just happen to be very, very rich laboratories for that learning to happen because so much happens in any given week. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. No, you're right. I mean, people are going to learn anyway, but when a school, if the school's whole purpose is learning and if everybody in it is learning, the, the school is a learning community, um, if that's the approach you take, then, yeah, people are happy to take the tools that you present because they work or, or you could try them and see if they work and that's even exciting um, or see how much you can modify the tools or bend the tools or whatever exactly. it might be. Um, and, you know, people really enjoy that. I mean, I think that's sort of what human beings do. Um, so yeah, it makes sense. Um, that's, a, that's a really interesting way to describe it. Did you, um, Jeff, would you say that, um, like you are, you have coached, you've been coached, you do coach, you, you also are a counselor. Um, trained and you're a practicing counselor um but yeah i mean this is sort of the you know this virtuous cycle that ian is referring to is, is very much the process at sci right digging a little bit deep and getting more questions and then um standing back getting some feedback how do you find that um yeah, like, do you use a formalized coaching strategy with your learners and with your teachers actually I do. Um, I, I, for me, coaching was like, um, when I was first coached, it was an epiphany. Like it changed my life wow. tremendously. And I think it was because I had had this, this mentorship experience that I described before, which was, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. Um, and then I was like, I guess, you know, there's two things. I mentor that doesn't work or I'm on my own. So I'm like, all right, so I'm on my own. And it was going okay. I mean, I wasn't in any troubles or anything, but you're really all alone. And so um, the, when I, when someone approached me to try coaching, um, I didn't know much about it. Um, I did know counseling, but I know they're very different things. And um, the, the, you know, I sort of said, you know, how do you feel like you can coach me? Like, what do you know about being like a, a school leader or a disagreement? She goes, absolutely nothing. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And it was the best. We did a, a year of coaching and then invited the principals in our school district to, we, we did a 50-50 split to pay for coaching for all of them. And then we brought coaching in for all the teachers in the district as well. Um, so for me, like I, I bought in 100%. And so right now in our school, we use a, a sort of a, an informal and a formal coaching kind of combination with our learners and with our teachers. So um, 
<clears throat> again, a lot of uh, places have these old uh, teaching um, evaluation systems where you're going through the, you know, these old school kind of how are you on a scale of one to 10 in this area and that area? And you kind of come up with a thing and you say, what are your goals? And okay, you better meet them. See you next year. Um, <clears throat> and now, and now we don't do that. It's just like, what are you working on? What can I help you with? What kind of tools do you need? Um, what have you observed? Is there anything that we should, anything else that you, we should talk about? Um, how could I help you meet that goal? Is there a goal you've been trying to reach and you just haven't been able to do it? Um, mm -hmm. Is there a goal that you'd like to state, but you're afraid to state it? Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, it's so much better and I have them and we, we surface them all. So I share mine, everybody shares theirs. Wow. They're pretty public. Um, cool. And we even share them with the learners so that when we're, when we're talking with our, with, you know, 15 year olds about things and, you know, they'll talk about something that they're struggling with and say, Oh yeah, you know what? One of my goals is this and man, I right. got you. I know what you mean. And they're just like, right on. you're, you have goals and you're trying to learn things, you know, like, right. wow, I thought, you know, I thought you were too old, but um, then, you know, so it's just the whole culture is about being clear that you are trying to, you know, get better at things, try things. We all have goals. We all need help. We all need to bounce things off people. We all need people to kind of help us help, help ourselves, hold ourselves accountable um, in sort of in the best way. Um, so it's, it's wonderful when you have a school like that, because it's easy. Um, that part is easy because you don't, there's nothing hidden. No one's trying to make something look better than it is. No one's feeling insecure, or if they are, they just tell you what they're feeling insecure about. Um, it's just so much easier for everybody. Yeah, uh, there's a brilliant quote. I don't know even who said it, but that a student always deserves to know what their teacher is learning. Oh, that's good. I really right? like that. That's just that tease it up. And that why is that so alien to us? <laughs> One of our teachers at this school, she's teaching... Um, we, we have been bringing somebody in, an expert from uh, uh, the field to teach ASL, American Sign Language. Okay. Yeah, wow. And the teacher has been kind of, our teacher in the house has been there to kind of facilitate the teaching because the person who does it um, is very good at ASL, but a little bit of an old school kind of teacher. And so it's not, okay. you know, all the best methodology. It's totally fine. So they work as a team. Nice. We did that for a couple of years. And then the teacher here said, I think I could do this. I would really like to be proficient at ASL. So She's wow. now taking classes at this organization with this person who's been, they've been Amazing. with, and now our teacher is teaching the ASL herself, but just, she's just as she's learning. So she's, you know, just around the corner from where the, where the kids are going to be, you know, in about a month, but she's teaching, you know, just slightly behind where she, her proficiency is. And it's, it's great because she can share her struggles. They're fresh. You can say, oh, yeah, I know how hard it is to remember that because it looks just like this, um, you know, or it makes no sense or whatever it might be. But she knows what she's talking about because she's, yeah. she's learning it too. And if we bump that up, you know, just back to principles, uh, one of the patterns that we've seen in the last hmm, 2000, since 2011, so in the last 10 years that we've been working a lot with schools in BC, uh, one of the patterns is that the best results have come from schools in which the principal of the school or the head says very openly, I, I want to like gear up. I want to go to the next level. I want to be a better leader. I want to learn about leadership. And I actually want to learn about it with all of you and that they don't opt out. They don't delegate their learning. You know, they don't, um, you know, they, they take full part uh, in the learning and in the practicing and they're very open like you just said talking about where their edge is and it's such an engaging aspect that everybody else around is given permission to do the same and to come up short and to find their edge that they that they want to develop and uh, it's actually to the point where we won't do something if the head person and it's always that awkward moment in the conversation where they're like well, I actually won't be attending. You know, I'm obviously a pretty big deal. Um, I'm just really doing this for my emerging leaders. Uh, it's a deal breaker now. We just kind of politely say, I think we'd like to refer you to somebody that will, will do that for you because we either need you in or we can't do this. Yeah, I think that that is um, that vulnerability piece that you're sort of putting some words around, right? It's really important for... Um, 
you know, Jeff sees this every day, learners will trust more if their teachers are really human about their limitations, right? Like, yes, I know this or no, I don't. And we've had this conversation where you don't need to be a subject matter expert to be a teacher. That's what's quite different about personalized inquiry. But yeah, that willingness for a leader to um, not have all the answers and actually be actively seeking answers that gives permission for a whole staff to not have it all right. And I think that's one of the most important things to, you know, that um, if everybody wants to get on board with a leadership development initiative, that's one of the gifts that uh, that kind of open mind will bring is safety, right? Psychological safety to grow. It's pretty hard to ask other people to take a risk if you're not willing to take one. Um, you know, I'd like you to be really, really vulnerable, but not me. I'm pretty busy, so I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be over here while you're. I'm good. Being yeah, vulnerable. I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I'm, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Pretty tough. I think that happens more than we more than we would like to see. Yeah. Well, I know that um, you know uh, along the lines of um, being more open, being more vulnerable. You know, um, going through something with your staff. Uh, builds community. I mean, Ian, a little while ago, you said learning how to, I think you were saying learning how to convene. Yeah, we count on principles to be conveners of the conversations that are dying to be born. But even those convening skills are not universal across the board, right? So there's some value in, um, well, there's a lot of value in, um, yeah, a whole group. Um, you know, a whole team, a whole school going through uh, some particular learnings in order to learn how can I be less defensive? How can I take a more curious stance instead of the knowing stance? But those things kind of take a little bit of practice. That yeah, was and a shared, a shared, a shared language uh, seems to be another thing that just, I mean, it, it's so simple. It was right under our nose. And now we use it when we're talking with schools and they're like, wow, that would make it so much easier for us to tackle this stuff. If we actually had a shared language, you know, some crazy rituals that we could use that we can name and start talking about, like, why don't we do a, you know, uh, why don't we do a turtle for that conversation? And why don't we, I mean, all of these things should should find a name inside a culture so that people can talk about what process do we need to go through together to come to some answers in this. You know, they're, they're really protocols or they're, they're methods, but they, they need to kind of take on a life and people need to be, people need to feel free to put it out there as an option. Like maybe we should do this. Maybe we should go through this process to find the answers. It's funny that you mentioned that because it is it is so obvious because in the classroom, it, like what most of the people would experience as a teacher, we have a million of those. So we're like, oh, this yeah. would be a good time for a parent share. This would be a good time for a whip nice. around. You know, we yeah. have all those things. Um, we do it all the time. And then as soon as you get in a room of adults, it's like, okay, I'm going to hand out a bunch of pieces of paper. All we do is boring meetings yeah. and report outs. Yeah. No, exactly. Like uh, uh, this is this is that whole realm of convening. A convener, it's something about their nature. They're very solid and steady and they're open and they're non-judgmental and they just are paying attention to the process, but they also have tools. They've also got skills to say, this is how we're going to tackle this conversation. And this is called, you know, a matrix. This is called a stand-up. This is called uh, an open space. This is called whatever the, whatever the tool is, it doesn't matter. It's at their fingertips and they're like, I think this would help us get to where we want to get to. And to just, you know, explode through the cynicism, because often what will happen is, um, you know, we'll bring a, you know, a, a conversational tool to the table and people are prepared to try it once. And the second time the principal proposes that we use this particular tool to have a conversation, people are like, yeah, we've already done that one. And, and we have a wonderful practice lead or learning leader rather of engagement named Bob Sharche who just points out, but we would have a hundred terrible meetings 
Like we keep going back to that tool. We keep going back to bad conferences with talking heads and panel forums that people literally pay attention to for five minutes and then they're just resting. They're just thinking about other stuff. So we go back to those tools. Why, don't, why aren't we prepared to constantly be discerning what tool would allow us to tackle this? So a principle has to kind of bust through that cynicism and that silly factor, because people will go out of their way to make you feel silly for proposing something. And you just have to ignore it. You just have to have the conviction to say like, this is actually what we're gonna do here. Yeah, that's true, that's true. I remember I even said, um, we're gonna do a, a stand up now. And I'll say, okay, insert eye roll here, I'll wait. Right. And then it's like, okay, away we go. Okay, let's <laughs> do it. Everybody kind of has a little laugh and away you go. And it's like, you just exactly. have to Exactly, brilliant. Yeah, it's fun. But once you establish those frameworks, um, you know, like tools will have different tools slash frameworks, whatever word you want to use. Once they're in place and people are familiar with them, they do a lot of the heavy lifting of removing ego from the conversation. Like in the conversations I have had with, uh, school administrators and people at the district level. Um, yeah, there's a there's an acknowledgement that um, people have armor, right? And so when you've got a framework that people are familiar with, and as they become increasingly familiar with it, you know, with that shared language, like you're saying, Ian, then then it's less scary to engage in, it's less revealing, it's less exposing, it's less finger pointing, you know, all those things tend to drop away once you can look around at your team and see, oh, this is actually how we have these conversations and there's nothing, you know, this is a typical Thursday afternoon kind of thing that we do, you know? So I think there's a lot of, um, we like predictability um, and we like being able to learn and improve in a way that doesn't make us feel less than or threatened. Sure. Yeah. Or in territory that we've never been in before. Mm -hmm. If we can at least take a process into that territory, all right, this is all new content, but we've been here before. Yeah. And these processes often guide us well. We often get to a better place together, so I can kind of trust that. It makes something about this process familiar even though the content is so new mm -hmm. but but most people you know just that distinction between process and content is 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 hidden and work every day just means plowing through the content of that day and there's no grace to it there's no ritual to it there's no affiliation to it or method it's just Try to get as much done as you possibly can get done today. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's not a lot of fun. I can understand why people have armor on if that's the way they're crushing through their work. If that's if that's the way they're crushing and if that's the metric for what it means to... If that's, exactly. If that's what we're asking them to do or even designing unintentionally. Yeah. If the only way I'm going to get all these forms filled in is if I just crush through them. You know, writing report card, the, the lists of things that we ask people to do that involves them hopefully getting in the zone. If not, it's super painful, but we just want you to immerse and crush through this task. Yeah. And that, you know what, there's times in every life, in every year, in every month that require that. But surely they have to be balanced with, with the bigger stuff mm -hmm. that has people looking around and seeing what the opportunity is here. That's so interesting because there's even opportunity in some of those drudgery items you can you can sometimes yeah. find a little gift in there and say you know what if we did this in this way we could actually you know have a conversation while we're doing it or there's something in here that we can all unearth and talk about in a different context um yeah when we started doing our report cards together you reminded me of this when you said report card in this school we our staff we do all the report cards together um because wow. we there's a we have to because of kind of the way our system works because we are not all subject you know we're all subject experts in different things and a lot of the stuff that kids do are interdisciplinary so we're often all involved in developing what their report card is going to say but what's wow. great about it is we end up having these incredible conversations about um each kid 
formative assessment, summative assessment, each person, how they're developing as a human, what their goals were and how they met them. And that's what, that's what, well, <laughs> their report cards say that they're, these are their goals and this is what they're going to do. And it's, it's uh, a lot more fun. I'll tell you that it's still hard work. And, you know, we still go, Oh no, here comes report card season, but there, at least there's uh, some nice little gifts in there too. Two of, two of my kids um, actually went overseas for grade 11 and 12. They went to a school in England. And I mean, I have never wept at reading a report card before. And so I don't know what the ritual is or what the process is that the teachers at this school go through to actually see my kids the way they saw them and to make observations about them, the, about the way they treat uh, the younger grades in the dining hall at dinner and observations about when somebody was struggling that one of my kids kind of stepped into that even though it was uncomfortable and really got that like that's not under social studies math it, but in a and in and in the you know in the class assessments there were these observations as well it's like a long form it's like full scap used to be that size of paper both sides with the most eloquent and articulate observations of who my kids are and who they're becoming. And, and there's grades in there and there's everything else in there too. But like, yeah, I don't know how they organize that ritual to come up with that. But uh, yeah, as a parent, it was hugely rewarding. It's funny that you say that because that's our measure here. We said if, if, our, if our report cards convey that we understand who your child is and where they're trying to go then we've succeeded <laughs> and if nice. all we've done is given you a laundry list with right. a bunch of n numbers beside it we've blown it and right. um so uh yeah that's so interesting you say that because that's actually that's our measure amazing and how much better for the teachers to see other people's kids that way oh yes i mean yeah. give me a break that's 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 not just valuable for the kids and the parents that's that's the deepest vocation that an educator has is to see the potential in somebody else's kids. Yeah, and it's funny how far away you can get from that um, oh, if, yeah. if things are set up in that way. <laughs> but if you get, like you're saying, if you use the right tool, whatever that might be, um, right. it, you can get right back to it pretty quickly. It doesn't take much. Nice. So I want I wanted to just sort of um, loop back to where we started this. You know, we started Ian with you sort of explaining your how you came to um, the education sector in terms of um, developing leaders. Um, yeah, I mean, I I just want to ask each of you, you know, whether you've got any sort of final thoughts on what principles could should be thinking about be working on. Um, I do agree with you, Ian, that, you know, if you can make change at a school level, you know, and Jeff, you are living proof of this, Doing right? It. If you create yeah. the community at a school that you want to see out in the world, you know, you are um, shaping the teachers and shaping the children, you know, shaping the learners, um, with those, um, you know, with those frameworks in mind for when they go out into the world. And it does sort of ripple down. Um, but I do feel like that's, it's an opportunity that can really be missed uh, if, if a school administration team doesn't sort of seize it. So uh, Jeff, off the top of your head, what would you say are some of the things that principals and VPs need to keep in mind when it comes to um, serving that end user. I use this a lot in my social media, partly because it's short and it fits into like a tweet, <laughs> but uh, I'll often say, um, I'll start something by saying, if school was only about learning mm -hmm. and then I'll follow it with something. And so to me, that's it. It's just do this task, approach this issue, whatever it might be, as if school were only about learning. <clears throat> and if you do that, most of the time, you're going to get it right. Wow. Um, and, and that's all we have to do. And I, I actually think if people just added that onto the beginning of anything that they're about to undertake, they're probably going to do a pretty good job. 
Wow. So like a principal would frame a problem or an issue with this, right? Yeah. Every if this, you know, if this place was only about learning. Here's how I would proceed. And so when they're, when they're establishing a discipline protocol, when they're talking to a staff member about maybe there's, you're talking to somebody about something difficult, like a performance issue, maybe, uh, you know, maybe you're talking about how bad your science marks are. I don't know. It could be anything. Um, that's the, that's the context of the conversation. And if that's always the context of the conversation, um, people don't mind having it because um, it's a really good reason to have a conversation about anything. And it, it is what your school is there for. It's just that often we get caught in all these other things that, that are not <laughs> what we're there for, but it, sometimes it feels like it is because it, they, they are front and center. Um, you know, again, the trappings, not, not the reason. Hmm. Ian, how about you? What would you say you want? You know, I'll give you the magic wand. What do you want uh, school leaders to be thinking? I mean, I'm uh, I'm inspired by what Jeff said because it it you know it gives people a north star to kind of come back to, and reset. Mm -hmm. And um, it does. Yeah, the only thing that I can think of that even you know close to has parallel weight to what Jeff just said is a word that has come up it's kind of bubbled to the surface over the course of this time together and uh, Jeff telling some funny stories about people that were kind of paired with him as a mentor. Um, we just have some ridiculously strong convictions about the word mentor and these really surfaced uh, in the work that we did in Scotland. Uh, one of those convictions is that the, the word mentor is a gift word which means you can't call yourself a mentor, a program can't call you a mentor. That word gets used by somebody else when they're describing the role that you have played in their life. And that's the only way that that word makes sense. And I guess what I know is that we're, we're doing work to track down what earns a person that word. Uh, so we're doing a lot of research right now getting people to tell stories about their mentors. Who is somebody who has earned that word in your life? And just seeing how those stories cluster up. And there's some very cool patterns. Uh, a few of them are things like, uh, they were an example. I actually learned a lot from just watching them in different situations. Okay, uh, if we know that, then that becomes part of that guiding star for principles. Uh, if you were always being an example, you know, what would you do? I don't know the kinds of situations, but just know at the core, you are an example to everybody else in that community. There's some cool balances between, you know, they were a really masterful instructor. Um, in that, what they shared with me has stuck with me for the rest of my life. So if I was going to share this knowledge in a way that sticks with people for the rest of their life, when it is time to instruct, how would I do that? And that goes for principals working with teachers in the same way that it works with teachers and students. Um, some very cool patterns about advice, how they're very careful about advice that they give. And normally it involves a lot of listening and a very, a very select piece of advice rather than the 10 pieces of advice that I wanna give you, but there's the one thing that I wanna share with you that that helps people change course. And then lastly is this idea of having the tools and the ability to position other people to be more engaged, to learn deeply, to engage more fully, to you know, increase their performance over time, that whole realm of coaching. Uh, a big cluster of stories that that's what mentors did to earn the word. So uh, that's the only thing I can put alongside what Jeff just said is for principals to know that if they can create a culture where the leaders within it are hungry to earn that word, they will transform things. It changes everything when leaders get hungry to earn that word. Yeah. Fantastic. I like that. <laughs> I really like that. Well, and it parallels, you know, again, so much of what you know, I, I pay attention to the conversations out in the business world. And right now it's all about trust and transparency and sure. um, setting yourself as that example. 
right? Because as a leader, especially with schools, you know, principals and teachers are the example. All eyes are on them. And so, you know, holding yourself to that standard of how much of an example can I set? Mm -hmm. Really, really powerful. Wow, we went all over the place today, fellow. That was fun. That was very Good. fun. Thank you very much for the invitation to join you both. Thank you, Ian Chisholm of Roy Group. And thank yeah. you, Jeff Hopkins of uh, Pacific School of Innovation and Inquiry. We will make sure that uh, any necessary web links are included in uh, the notes for this podcast. And thanks to everybody who's listening. And we'll catch you next time. Ciao. Thanks. Bye-bye.